Hello, everyone. This is Joe Duva, president of the Kings Point Republican Club of Tamarack, the club that was never supposed to be. A pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, we're going to start the meeting uh, as we have. Well, actually, it's not a meeting. It's an interview. But uh, we like to start our gatherings with the Pledge of Allegiance. So I'll ask you to close your eyes, picture a big, beautiful flag like President Trump always describes. And repeat to yourself, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. And uh, today we're going to have uh, an interview with uh, Russell DePerna. Uh, many of you know Russell. He's been uh, a fixture around Kings Point for the last few years. He worked uh, uh, for BSO, um, and I'll give you a little list of his uh, background in a second, but I just wanted to um, briefly speak to you about uh, some of the things that are going on in the neighborhood and in the country. As you know that uh, this election is so big and we're trying to encourage everybody to uh, vote in person. Uh, if you must vote by mail-in ballot, please uh, track your vote right up until Election Day. Um, if you have my emails that come to you, as quite often as many of you were <laughs> know how I am with the emails, uh, I sent out some phone numbers for you to uh, connect with to the uh, Board of Supervisors of Elections so that uh, you'll have the numbers handy. If you want to uh, track your vote, if you have any complaints about anything, if you see something that doesn't look right, for instance, ballot harvesting, people bringing ballots down to the uh, uh, ballot mailbox down at the polls and putting them in the mailbox for you. I mean, that's something that you're just going to try to avoid all of that. Um, a lot of things going on that are going to be uh, very questionable. So try to do the right thing and uh, keep your eyes open. All right. So uh, I have so much to say and uh, we don't have a lot of time. I don't want to take a valuable time from uh, Russell's interview, but uh, it's important that uh, you realize there's a lot of enthusiasm out there for President Trump. A lot of things uh, don't get reported uh, through the media, so you have to do some research. And we, uh, who know what I'm talking about here, we have to be the, uh, the army of patriots for uh, the president. We have to pass the word. We have to educate those who don't hear all the news. Uh, there's everything from weekend street corner rallies to caravans, boat parades. Uh, for those of you from Long Island, I don't even know if you know, this past weekend there was a huge, huge caravan that went from East Northport all the way out to Greenport. It was over 1,500 vehicles in that procession. And uh, of course it didn't get national attention, but uh, you should know that when the president said New York is in play, there's a reason for that. So uh, something to keep in mind. Do your research. Send me emails when you can. If you have any questions, call me. You have my number. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things going on, a lot of uh, a lot of things that I'll be putting out on the emails, hoping, hoping that uh, for those who don't get the emails, that they'll hear from people that do. If you know any any folks out there that are connected to me and uh, uh, you want to be connected to me, I'd be more than glad to put you on my email list. Anyway, with that, <clears throat> I want to 
uh, introduce uh, Russell DePerna to those of you who either don't remember him or uh, have never heard of him. Uh, Russell was a research analyst for the, uh, for the War Room dot impeachment, which was uh, uh, something that uh, Steve Bannon uh, started. And those of you who might recollect Steve Bannon, he's actually the man who probably gets most credit for getting President Trump elected in 2016. Uh, Russell worked for him for the last few months in Washington. And um, before that, he's a uh, retired New York Police Department uh, uh, officer, served in Brooklyn South. Uh, the task force disorder control unit is what the unit was called. He's a former executive officer of Sheriff Scott Israel, even though uh, Russell didn't uh, particularly care to work for Scott Israel, he had an important job in BSO. Um, he's also a Marine, and once a Marine, always a Marine. So uh, we thank Russell for his service there and as a New York Police Department uh, officer also. He has a bachelor's degree in history and he minored in political science at FAU College. He has a master's degree in political science with a concentration in the Middle Eastern studies that uh, he got at FAU College. And last but not least, <clears throat> he has a master's executive certificate in counterterrorism and homeland security studies. The Interdisciplinary Center for Counterterrorism Studies, he learned at, at Herzliya in Israel. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I got that right. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn the microphone over to uh, Russell DePerna, and I thank him for being here today. Very, very important interview that he has with us today. Thank you, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. This is like such a great honor to be able to speak on these very important and uh, current issues. Uh, I just want to highlight something you mentioned, and you know, when you're not running for public office and you do one of these. Uh, uh, forums, it's very easy to be candid. <laughs> so uh, I think probably one of the low points, not proud of it, was working for Sheriff Scott Israel, and we can get into a little of that if we have time. Uh, when you work for the New York City Police Department, uh, you're working really for the finest in law enforcement institution in the country, along with many other agencies like LA, Detroit, Chicago. Um, these are urban centers where they really perform, they're, they're performance-oriented institutions rather than political. But uh, my experience working for Scott Israel was, uh, I'm not embarrassed to say it, and not, to be, and, not, and not embarrassed to be honest and say that it wasn't a highlight of my career. Well, uh, we're glad that you were here to begin with. And uh, as, as it turns out, you were like uh, inside looking out, and uh, which was a help to many of us, and uh, we'll come in especially handy now, I think, in this election coming up, our local sheriff here in Broward. Um, many people still don't realize that uh, Sheriff Tony, um, even though he was appointed by the governor, uh, he uh, changed his party affiliation, I believe, the day after. So he was a registered Republican, and before that he was a registered Democrat, and I understand he was a registered Republican before that. So he has flip-flopped a couple of times, but he flipped over to the Democratic Party after he was appointed by our newly elected uh, 
governor, Republican Governor DeSantis. So um, I have we, I have a, a couple of questions for you. The first one I wanted to ask in reference to uh, uh, current events is uh, how do you answer to people like LeBron James? Uh, many of you know who LeBron James is. For those who don't, he's a famous basketball player. But how do you answer to people like him who allege that young black men are hunted down by white police officers? That kind of blows a lot of us away. Great question, Joe, and it's great to get right into the uh, uh, the important topics of today and what we're dealing with in American society. Uh, LeBron James has been one of the most outspoken. He was outspoken during the Ferguson riots with uh, hands up, don't shoot. Even though after that false narrative was proven to be false by the Justice Department, President Obama's Justice Department, and Eric Holder, he continued to spew and, and carry out that false narrative. But it's, it shocks me that many of these athletes are jumping on this, uh, you know, participating in this hatred for police. Uh, the, the, stati the statistics and data just don't show that there's a biasness in police uh, agencies. Uh, there's a great book written by Heather McDonald, a great scholar from the Manhattan Institute, and she clearly lays this out with in, in incredible data. But I'd like to share, and, and from the athlete's perspective, um, when you look at athletes, everything they do is really when, when they play their opponents, when they're competing, the, the managers, the coaches, the owners, the players, everything is data-driven. If they're playing another a member, a team, and another member, they look at the members, the, the opponents, and who has the highest ability to score. They're going to focus their strategy on that person. When they negotiate, when their agents negotiate contracts, and they get pretty hefty contracts, it's based on, well, my client scores more or produces more than the another top scorer, so he's justified in getting uh, this amount of money, a, a contract. I wish they would apply that same principle when looking at the data when it comes to this false narrative of the myth of American system, that there's a, a systemic racism problem in America and there's a biasness and systemic racism in law enforcement that just doesn't hold water. And I like to use the example, and I'm just going to cite this very quickly and move on because it's very easy to cite the, the data. Use politics because when you run for public office, you're being elected by the people. In the last quarter of the 20th century, in the first two decades of the 21st century, African Americans increasingly became involved in all levels of local government. Today, one third of America's top 100 cities is governed by African Americans. Many of those mayors being women, they're elected with a majority of white vote. Congress, 22% U.S. House of Representatives, uh, are made up of Senate and ra uh, racial ethnic minorities. Today, the 116th Congress is the most racially and ethnically diverse in history. That's an 84% increase over the 107th Congress in 2001-2003. These candidates, African Americans who hold office, or old, they only make up 12 to 13% of the population. They're being overwhelmingly elected by whites. And I'll finish with this. President Obama, the first African-American president, a two-term president, was elected with the majority of white votes. So to say this systemic racism in, in our country, nothing could be further from the truth. In law enforcement, statistics clearly show 
that there is not a bias in law enforcement. In fact, Ray Kelly, the former NYPD police commissioner, and he's, I, I, I have a great affection for Ray Kelly and Bill Bratton. They are this country's preeminent law enforcement leaders. And he says, no other institution in this country does more for the black community than the police. But what's not being discussed is the disparity in crime. They only make up 12 to 13% of the population, yet the majority of crime is in the communities of color. You know, I always look back at Senator Bill Bradley. Remember him, New Jersey? Yeah. Very liberal senator, played in the NBA. In fact, he was very progressive for that time in the early 90s. Today, he would fit right in with today's progressives. And he wrote, wrote a letter to President George Bush Sr. and he said, until we can discuss black illegitimacy, illegitimacy, crime, high crime rates, and drug addiction within the black community without being called a racist, we're never gonna solve the problem. And I always like to use New York City as an example, going back to LeBron James and Ferguson, Missouri with the no hands don't shoot. Uh, 60% of all murder arrests in Missouri in 2012 and 58% of all robberies uh, which are far less than 12% of the stats, 12% of, of the population of that, that state, were vastly majority African Americans. So the disparities are found in, and these disparities are found in every city and state in the country. So the blacks are committing more of the murders, 60.5% of all murders in Missouri. In New York City, 23% African American population, yet they account for 75% of the shootings. When you have a police department, you have assets, resources, money, you're not gonna put it in low crime areas, you're gonna put it in, in the crime areas that have the highest crime rates. And that happens to be the communities of color. So you're going to get more confrontations and more interactions with the people of those communities. So LeBron James has a little homework to do when it comes to this, the, the data and the statistics. And then just to uh, finish this uh, subject and this topic up, the this has been a false narrative now since I was a child. It's not gonna stop. Uh, the statistics and data are there. The elected officials who promote this narrative, this false narrative, know the statistics and data are not on their side. But what they're doing is they're creating a subjective problem. And it's a subjective problem because it's being discussed continuously over the last three decades, especially over the last couple of years. Joe, when you have a subjective problem, you can't come up with an objective solution. So they're continuing this. They want it to be a subjective problem. They don't want a solution because the solution takes away their power. And the solution is always on the other side, and it has to do with government involvement in these communities. Thank you very much. Uh, as I'm listening to the answer here, I'm, I'm reminded that recently uh, there were statements made about how uh, with with defunding police, uh, you've got people in the, that live in the inner city that are like uh, complaining. They said, we don't want less police. We have our kids and we want to send them to school and send them out into the playground and send them down to the store for milk. And we want to make sure that they feel safe to walk out the door and come back home without being mugged by a gang member or something. The less cops you have on the street, the worse it is to have security for your family. And that comes from the inner city. Well, Joe, just when you look at these cities, like New York, Portland, Oregon, Seattle. And I want to go back to what Mayor de Blasio's wife said. They have a very warped way of interpreting things and looking at things. Sometimes I sit back and I say, are they doing it deliberately 
or are they really delusional in the way they think? Mayor de Blasio's wife came out uh, recently and said, imagine New York City with no police. What a nirvana, what a grand utopian world we would live in. Does she really believe that New York City would be a better place without police? So, pretty shocking and yeah, disturbing to hear a statement like that. Yeah, it is. I, uh, I'll jump to another question here. <clears throat> Conservatives charge that an organization called OAF, Organization for Action, that was founded by President Barack Obama, is playing a part in the urban riots of the past few months. Do you have any evidence to support that claim? Well, the evidence, I don't have any evidence, but when you look at the organization and see the trajectory and the landscape of this organization, I don't know how you cannot come to the conclusion that this organization is playing a role. The OFA, the Organization for Action, many of your listeners never heard of this organization. We keep hearing about Antifa, we keep hearing about Black Lives Matter. OFA is a tremendous organization and very well funded. It was created during the Obama administration, right around 2012, and right about towards the end of 2016, right before the election, uh, they began to retool it and scale back because they were anticipating a Hillary Clinton presidency. Once President Clinton uh, was victorious in November, they completely turned it into high gear. This organization, again, Joe, is huge. It has 1.1 million people who were assigned, who signed up to take some kind of action. It's strictly designed to uh, protest. It, it's organized thousands of people to attend events protesting President Trump's policies. One, again, 1.1 million people have signed up. They have an online training uh, program where they actually train protesters. Um, and it's, it's, it's an organization that has grown immensely. The purpose of the organization, though, ironically, is to preserve the Obama legacy. That's why he created it. Now, there are a lot of Democrats who are not happy with this organization, leading Democrats in, in Congress, because a lot of donated money goes to the OFA. A lot of these Democratic candidates want money for, their, uh, for the National Democratic Committee to promote their candidates. So. I, I see, if you were to ask me what I forecast, I see President Obama falling into that same category as the Clintons. It was all about them. And President Obama is, this organization is strictly about promoting him and his legacy. Uh, and that's, that's the, the assessment that I see on OFA. Do I think they're part of this protesting? I don't know how they, they can't be. Right now they have a million people involved, thousands and thousands of protesters that are dis, uh, dispatched into every event that President Trump goes to. That is was even before this year, before COVID. Uh, this started right from the beginning of his presidency. Remember, every place he went, there were protesters, all organized by the OFA and President Obama's organization. Yeah, okay, I, uh, I completely support that theory because uh I find that there are many times what we see and what others don't see are coordinated efforts to uh, uh, get out on the street. I've seen pictures of pallets of bricks being delivered to street corners on the other block from a riot or a protest, and, or I'm sorry, peaceful protest as they're called. 
uh, Molotov cocktails that are prepared and they're pulling them out of the back, out of the trunks of cars. I mean, uh, coordination, coordinated efforts, tough to, tough to, do, Tough to say that things aren't set up ahead of time. But uh, anyway, uh, I have another question. Uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, they've been at the forefront of much of the disorder in the, in the nation's cities, the big cities. Uh, should the people of Broward County be concerned about the organization? Absolutely. And I'm going to give you a little history on BLM, the Black Lives Matter. First and foremost, we see all this protesting. Well, protesting, I would say more rioting. Uh, you have close to $2 billion in damages uh, throughout some of the major cities, and those are not protests, those are riots. And if anybody's familiar with rioting, it's a New York City police officer who worked in the disorder control units because we dealt with it on a regular basis, demonstrations. Uh, it's, it was prevalent, but it was always kept under control because I was very fortunate to work when Mayor Giuliani was there, and he, he would never let anything get out of control. These organizations, Antifa, OFA, the Obama uh, Organization for Action, the Black Lives Matter. This is not a recent revelation, Joe. These organizations have been were formed way before President Trump even declared his candidacy for president. Antifa has been around since the 1930s. BLM was formed in Ju uh, July of 2013 and became very active because of the Ferguson, uh, the George, um, the, uh, the shooting in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, and there's a lot more to this organization than people really know. They are not about racial equality or racial uh, injustices. Uh, they became very active during the 2016 presidential campaign. Well, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, they're, if you go on their website, in fact, an NPR report from D.C., Black Lives Matter's chapters, and they have several chapters all over the country and all over the world, their demands were defunding police, halting the construction of new jails, decriminalizing sex work, removing police from schools, exonerating protesters, and abolishing cash bail. That started way before President Trump became president. But you have to look at the founders and the people who were involved in this, this organization. The co-founder, Patrice Colores, said in a newly released video from 2015 that she and her fellow organizers are trained Marxists. They are self-proclaimed Marxists. Those are not my words. Uh, those are the words of, right on their website, they clearly stated. They also are protégés. They claim to be protégés of Eric Mann, the former agitator of the Weather Underground domestic terrorism organization that was responsible for several bombings in D.C. and New York. But what we have to look at more than anything is who's funding these organizations? Where are they getting their money? Because they're very well funded. Now, I, myself, and many other people have been pointing the finger and, and working with, in the war room pandemic, uh, you get a good assessment of what's going on in China. I don't wanna get into the China issue because it's very broad right now, and it's, it's too much to explain, maybe on another day. And one of my favorites, uh, who used to be on the war room, who I met personally and had several discussions, was Peter Navarro the director of trade policy for President Trump. It's brilliant. You, you actually, you meet with him and speak with him a couple of times. You, you, you have your PhD. He's a brilliant economist and he's a, an asset to the presidency, President Trump. And China has, is taking a different 
trajectory in coming after the United States. Let me just digress for two minutes. I always uh, recommend to listeners and people I lecture on, because I lecture on these uh, topics frequently, is to read the George Kennan report. The George Kennan, George Kennan was an, an American ambassador uh, stationed in the uh, American embassy in Moscow. And in 1946, Harry Truman asked him to give him an assessment on what the Soviets were up to because Stalin and the Soviets were violating every uh, verbal agreement that they made with Roosevelt as far as when the war ended and this ex obviously the Soviets were in a, an expansionist uh, trajectory, the landscape was, was expansionist. So George Kennan wrote a report. I recommend everyone to read it. It's 10 pages. If you take the date off that document, you would think that document was written today. The Soviets' goal was to create racial division in the United States, pit uh, rich against poor, seniors against young, create an in internal social uh, apparatus to take down the United States from within. They failed because they tried to outspend us economically and through a military buildup. We all know what President Reagan did. The Chinese are much smarter. They know they can't outspend us. They, they know they can't defeat us militarily. Uh, that'll never happen. So they're doing, they're following the same, they took that playbook right from the Soviets. So let's look at Black Lives Matter. Where are they getting their money? Well, some people don't even know where they're getting their money. They move money around from organization to organization, bank to bank. They, this, this follows actually the terrorist uh, mode, the way the terrorists do it. Hezbollah, they do the same thing. They move money from bank to bank, organization to organization, from charities, uh, charities that don't exist, to other charities. They keep moving money around so you can't pinpoint where the money is coming from. Also, some research has been done and it says money is coming from people who put down their unemployed. So it's difficult to track where the money is coming from. But recently, about a week ago, it was found that a pro-China organization, the Chinese Progressive Association, funds a Black Lives Matter sister organization called Black Futures Lab. It's a venture of uh, Black Lives Matter founder Elisa Garza, a self-proclaimed um, Marxist. And she has on her website, it's, you had, it's donate, and you, and you hit the donate button. And when you click on it, it explains that Black Futures Lab is a fiscally sponsored project of the Chinese Progressive Association. Uh, this link between the, the uh, communist regime in Beijing and the riots destroying American lives and livelihoods, Joe, really deserves some investigation from the executive branch in Congress. And I would think that uh, A.G. Barr is probably looking into, into this. Uh, there is a reason, uh, you know, that the, uh, us as Americans, we don't have the satisfactory answers when we uh, ask who is funding these organized riots. And as I said, because the groups, their organizers and their funders don't want us to know. They create these multiple organizations. Very difficult to track, but the fact that there's a Chinese progressive association affiliated with the CCP and if part of, is, is part of the Black Lives Matter should be very, very disturbing. Now, should Broward residents be concerned with Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. And now I'm going to get into local politics, because politics is all local. We hit on just briefly about what's going on nationally. There's another 
problem with Black Lives Matter. They are a very, they promote anti-Semitism. Hmm. People are probably listening today. We haven't heard that. That's because it's not being reported. And I have this, the, the, the information and the data right here. Um, I'm going to take you to, let's go back to uh, May 30th. Fairfax, Los Angeles turned violent. A New York Times, uh, Los Angeles Times account, a local CBS TV affiliate report made no mention of the fact that there were Jewish targets. There were reports that synagogues and Jewish-owned businesses were vandalized. And as the fires and the looting were uh, erupting and, and taking shape, no news report covered the anti-Semitic hate crimes and incidences. In fact, a Los Angeles council member, uh, Paul, I believe his name is Paul Koretz, he said, according to the Jewish uh, Journal, the congregation Bethel was vandalized with graffiti stating Palestines and, and F the Jews. He said, uh, there are certain Black Lives Matter members who criticized Israel's treatment of Palestinians. Uh, Black Lives Matter in the United Kingdom tweeted a very anti-Semitic, uh, it was a very anti-Semitic tweet because they have chapters in, uh, in all over the world. A Jewish, uh, Georgetown University Jewish civil, uh, civilization professor mentioned that he's very concerned with the a 2016 platform that was removed from BLM criticize the Jews. Uh, now let's go, and it's you could Google this, research it. There's a YouTube video out on it in Washington, D.C. Recently, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters marched uh, while they were chanting, Israel, we know you. Quote, you murdered children too and an anti-racism uh, rally in Paris as well, inspired by Black Lives Matter. Protesters wore t-shirts reading, Justice for Palestine, waving Palestinian flags while chanting, Dirty Jews. So there is an anti-Semitic component to Black Lives Matter. That should, should concern people in this country because it's not about George Floyd. It's not about racial equality. Uh, it, they have a, a, a completely different, uh, again, trajectory, objective. But this is what's very disturbing to me in Broward County. You have the leading law enforcement, the leader of the leading law enforcement agency in the county, the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Greg Tony, who was uh, took over for, uh, when Sheriff Scott Israel was removed, recently, and it's on video. I believe you saw the video, Joe. Correct. Yes, you, you saw the video. video. Yeah. There was a a group, Black Lives Matter supporting group, uh, protesting in front of the public safety building in Broward County. Greg Tony, the sheriff, looked out his window, and he decided to go out and kneel in solidarity, solidarity with people who support and are part of an organization that are anti-American, anti-U.S. government, self-proclaimed Marxists, and now we have documentation that they are very, they support and promote a very anti-Semitic agenda. Anti-Semitism is a growing problem in this country. Uh, so Sheriff Greg Tony has a lot of explaining to do. I wish the media would approach him and ask him these questions. But until now, we haven't heard anything. It's been uh, crickets. I uh, saw that video and I sent it out uh, on my uh, contact list. And uh, the, uh, the link was called Red Broward, if anyone wants to look that up again. Because I know there are people listening to this that are not on my email list. But uh, anything you do here uh, during this interview, you can uh, do the research. I, we encourage you to do that. Uh, thank you for that.
Anyway, I have another question for you. Uh, basically, it, you, you might have answered some of it already about should Broward, you know, people, Broward Republicans consider supporting Greg Tony. I mean, especially because he was appointed by a Republican governor, but like I said earlier, his uh, party affiliation changed to Democrat the day after he was uh, appointed as sheriff. Uh, it's tough. We have a we have someone running uh, for, for sheriff right now uh, who spoke last week on the podcast, Wayne Clark, who is a registered Republican. So um, I, I, I personally encourage you all to uh, take notice of that and just try to spread the word because, like I said, many people don't realize that Sheriff Tony is not a registered Republican. Well, I want to go digress a little bit and explain my opinion give you my opinion on what I have witnessed from my experience at the Broward County Sheriff's Office. And this, this is where the problem lies, the politics. Uh, you have Republican and Democrat. And politics has been very divisive over the, very, uh, over the last decade or two. In fact, a recent poll, 86% of Americans believe that don't have trust in their media sources. 84% believe that the, the political divide in this country is stoked by the media. So this is not helping the situation. And politics and law enforcement, they don't make for a good match, Joe. And this is the problem with the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Ray Kelly, as I mentioned earlier, when he left office, he left office with about a 73% approval rating. 62, that's by a Quinnipiac poll. 72, 62% or 63% support from the African-American community. About 67% from the Latin community. Ray Kelly said the reason why he was so successful, and he may go down in history as the most successful police commissioner, not only in New York, but in this country, he said was because Mayor Bloomberg, who was a Democratic candidate for president of the United States, kept politics out of policing. And that's why they were able to reduce crime the way they did. The Broward County Sheriff's Office is completely political. Now, I'm going to go back a little. Sheriff Scott Israel, when he came into office, had good intentions. They fell at the wayside very quickly. I recognize it. Many other people recognize it. What Scott Israel did to the agency, if it was a crime, he'd be doing life in prison. He politicized every layer and every component of the agency. Let me tell you where that's de how detrimental that is. Because what happens is he puts people into positions that shouldn't be there, unqualified, and as time went on, they made the most egregious mistakes. I always like to look, when you look at Ray Kelly, and let me illustrate this through Ray Kelly, because it's, it's just brilliant what he did. Ray Kelly uh, was a retired Marine Corps Fulbright Colonel, combat veteran in Vietnam. Law degree, degree from Harvard University, 40 years of experience working in the New York City Police Department when New York City was in bad shape. When he took over in January of 2002, this was three or four months after 9-11, he knew he couldn't rely on the federal government to protect New York City. So he knew he had to buttress and, and supplement his defenses. He brought in brilliant people. He didn't go out and say he was, ama he was an amazing leader, like Sheriff Scott Israel did. He didn't go out and say, I'm an expert, like Sheriff Greg Tony does. And Sheriff Greg Tony is definitely not known for his euphemisms. Um, he went out and he brought in the most brilliant people. He brought in a Marine Corps general, Middle East expert. He brought in. Um, David Cohen, retired deputy director of CIA clandestine operations. He brought in attorneys from 
Harvard University because he knew after 9-11 that the Patriot Act would give law enforcement the ability to do surveillance. And he won, he was going to go right on the fringes of those, those legal parameters in counterterrorism. We refer to that as the democratic dilemma. And he did it to the, to the dismay of the FBI, but Ray Kelly did it brilliantly. He was right on the cusp. And that's why Ray Kelly, it said that he thwarted close to 20 lone wolf terrorist attacks in New York City that we know of. I like the best one where he brought in. He brought in a young woman. Uh, she was at Harvard University School. She re researched and had focus on Islamic radicalization and terrorism, military privatization, transnational law enforcement, and national security law. She graduated from Harvard magna cum laude, then got a, a doctorate degree cum laude from summa cum laude from Harvard Law School. Joe, her resume was a tour at the Council on Foreign Relations, working on nuclear nonproliferation, international trade law, energy policy, biotechnology, not to mention her work in Paris with the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development on transatlantic biotechnology policy and France's nuclear energy. He plants her right in the middle of a new detective unit that was going to investigate terrorism. Scott Israel brought in as his chief of staff of a 6,000 employee agency, somebody who never really held a job. She had medial positions, she has no history, no success in the labor force. Ray Kelly brought in brilliant attorneys from Harvard University. Scott Israel's general counsel was a, a lawyer who had no accomplishments in the private sector. He was a low level civil service attorney. Uh, he had as his third in command in the Broward County Sheriff's Office. You know, it's an honorable career, but it doesn't justify putting you in such a responsible position. A commander who rode a motorcycle for 15 years and reached the rank of sergeant, and then uh, right before he retired, made captain, but there was no lieutenant's rank. So technically, he was a lieutenant in an agency of Fort Lauderdale, with just a little less than 500 people. So you wonder why these cataclysmic events took place at the airport and the port. Uh, at the airport and Stoneman Douglas rather. Greg Tony, unfortunately, is following that same landscape, that same trajectory, and I use that term frequently. What Scott Israel did was he appointed all people, these people on his first layer, first level uh, managers, who never made lower, basically just made lower level, level and mid level uh, management positions. When Greg Tony came in, they either left or he, uh, Greg Tony fired them. But the second tier managers were promoted by Scott Israel. Greg Tony, all he did was elevate them to the higher levels. So in my opinion, the Broward County Sheriff's Office is still Scott Israel's Sheriff's Office. And I can tell you, this agency is heading for another cataclysmic event. They don't have the ability, they don't have the leadership, they don't have the qualified people to handle another event. Now, I just received some important information uh, yesterday, and it, it should be, it's disturbing, and everyone should, should be concerned about it. Um, the Port Everglades cut their budget, the law enforcement budget, by 30%. 30%. They cut staff. Now, I have to tell you, when I studied in Israel, and I'm proud of that, you know, I'm a patriot, I love America, we have the best of everything, but when it comes to security, counterterrorism, Israel does it better than anybody. Uh, because they're not, only great they're not only great scholars, but they're practitioners as well. And the focus of their security was airports and port security. 
the port has a, a, a power plant. It has fuel dispensary. It has natural gas lines where Ken Jenny built uh, a, a block, like it, uh, in case there was a, a massive explosion, it wouldn't proceed out throughout out of the port. Uh, and these facilities have to be guarded. They have to be watched. And the fact that Greg Tony cut 30% of the budget, that puts every Broward County resident at risk. But we talk about defunding police. Greg Tony has already begun defunding police, and I wish the media would address these issues. He took approximately a million dollars out of the budget and gave it to the county commission and commissioner, uh, Mayor Dale Holness, for social services programs. Sound familiar? Mayor de Blasio took a billion dollars out of the budget, the so police budget, for social services programs. He has got to restore the security apparatus in the port. It's a very it's very dangerous what he did, especially with all the resource, all the assets that are there, the fuel dispensaries. So, but it seems as if Greg Tony has a lot of skeletons in his closet. Um, we recently know that he was arrested for murder when he, he was, uh, I think, 14 or 15 years old. He didn't put it on his application. He said it was self-defense. He said that would be... When he was interviewed by the Sun Sentinel, he said, oh, that, that's all there is. You're not going to find anything else. Well, we just found out about a week ago, published in Red Broward, that there were two other incidences. Uh, he got into legal trouble in 1993 and 1994. And these uh, arrests and these uh, legal problems that he's experienced were not put on his applications. So I don't know what else is left in Greg Tony's closet, but I could assure you you know, when you have somebody who's a, a looks like a habitual criminal, it has habitual criminal activity. <laughs> you have to look at it now. What don't we know about? What wasn't reported? What did he do that he didn't get in trouble for? Uh, this is the person who's in office. Um, and again, the politics, the Republican, the Democrat. I met Wayne Clark, and the reason why I liked him, there was one reason why I I was attracted to his candidacy. He didn't think he knew everything. He was humble, brilliant, well-educated, attorney, just like Ray Kelly. Um, and again, he, he asks advice. He asks people. He's willing to find out, you know, where to go, where to take that next step. Very impressed by that. That's what it takes to be a leader. Not to be afraid to ask your subordinates what should be done. Not that you think you're an amazing leader, especially in a time of crisis. And as Greg Tony keeps saying, he's an expert. I don't know what he's an expert in. Uh, experts to me are people who are not only educated but are practitioners. I don't know how much experience he has working work, when he worked in Coral Springs. I don't know how many critical incidences he's been on since he was a Coral Springs police officer. But my answer, my uh, assumption would be probably zero. So Broward County is in a dilemma. And um, the voters are going to have to make their decision. Elections have consequences. A lot of information here today. Uh, I hope you folks uh, can absorb some of this and spread it around. Um, for those of you who are listening to this that are not club members of ours, um, I encourage you to also absorb this and spread it because this affects everybody. And like Russell said, it's not about politics. Uh, our security here in Broward County is very important, obviously, to all of us. Security for the country is important to all, all the folks in the country, regardless of party affiliation. Uh, I 
can only say that based on observation, uh, our president is the, uh, the law and order president, as we uh, loudly proclaim on street corners. That's why I'm speaking hoarse today, because I have some laryngitis from this past Saturday. And uh, I will get more laryngitis this Saturday and every Saturday after this until the election. There's plenty going on. We want to thank Russell DePerna for his interview today. Uh, hopefully we're going to see and hear more from him uh, when it's time to get back into the clubhouse again. And uh, I uh, want to wish everybody a peaceful rest of the day. And also check out my emails for what's coming up on the weekend. We even have a big boat parade coming up on October 3rd. It's going to go from Fort Lauderdale to Boca Raton. Uh, so if you want to come out and have some fun, you don't have to be on a boat, but it'd be nice to stand there on the shore and uh, just wave to all your uh, fellow uh, Floridians as they uh, go by on the boats, waving to you and blowing their horns and enjoying the day. And uh, we encourage you all to uh, please uh, uh, get to the polls when it's time to go and vote in person. Like I said, if you have to mail it in, track your vote. Track it right up until Election Day. If it's not registered by Election Day, put your mask on and get down to the polls. Thank you very much. God bless you all. God bless America. And God bless the President and his family. Thank you.